Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And so your own mind, my, my mind was limiting me from what I was capable, which I proved to be, which I was capable of doing. I think it's the one thing that I'm still fighting to this day. I think we all fight is fear, right? The fear of failure. Is that too much? Am I overreaching? What will people think about me? You know, I've had a really unique experience of being at almost every job that I am. I get to a level where there's no one that looks like me anymore, right? I'm the only African-American male in the room. I was the only African-American regional manager when I was a regional manager at Enterprise. As I looked up, there were maybe two group car sale managers across the country that were African-American. So as I kind of looked, and in, and in Southern California, where I was working, there was no African-Americans that were in my tree that were higher than me. And then I went to Solar City, and the same thing happened. I was the only African-American director and so sometimes that idea that am I overreaching, right? Because there's no one around here that looks like me. Like, have I reached my ceiling, right? And it's something that I try to mentor to a lot of people who reached out like, hey, dude, like you're the only person that looks like you. Can you mentor me? Don't limit yourself, right? Was always, but I was limiting myself based on my experience or what I saw. And that experience shaped me to understand that I was never going to compromise my value ever again. Hello and welcome to Inside Out. My name is Billy Samoa Salibi and I'm your host. Through interviews and case studies, I examine how transformational insights have helped propel the lives and careers of exceptionally successful people. These major breakthrough moments teach valuable lessons that will help us in business and in life. Today's guest is Travis Walker, a dynamic sales and business development leader with a track record of leading high-performing teams. Travis has consistently created a reputation for every company he's worked for, resulting in promotions to senior level executive roles and ultimately giving him the responsibility of leading teams as large as a thousand people. A master recruiter and team builder, Travis is not only able to find the best people, he's able to help them reach levels of success they may not have realized was even possible. When we worked together at Solar City and Tesla, his teams consistently exceeded targets thanks to his strong belief in executing the fundamentals while building a culture where winning is contagious. On the show, Travis shares why, after earning a law degree, 
he decided to take a career path away from the legal world. How his experience at a Jesuit university gave him a strong foundation based on compassion and morality, and why he believes you should never use your challenges as a reason for failure. He discusses his unique perspective on being one of the few African-American senior level leaders at the companies he's worked for and how that's influenced his mindset, why he believes in the power of mentors, and why he places such an enormous amount of value on remembering the importance of doing exceptional work. Travis shares his approach to recruiting top talent, provides tactical advice for those that are on the job hunt, and shares some mistakes he's learned to help him build a more well-rounded team. He also speaks about the value of resiliency, having a caring heart, and passion as core competencies for just about any role, and that foresight, ability to solve problems, and compassion are traits he looks for in a leader. Travis shares so many valuable insights and concepts, and I'm truly excited to share them in this episode of Inside Out. Travis Walker, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on Insight Out. I am absolutely thrilled to connect with you again. We had the opportunity to work closely together during our Solar City and Tesla days. You are an absolute legend. Everyone that's worked with you just knows what you bring to the table. And I'm thrilled to learn more about you today and, and share with the audience what makes you so special, some of the insights that you've had throughout your career and throughout your life. And again, welcome. Cool. Thanks for having me, Billy. I'm excited to be here. To get started, for those that don't know you, would love to learn more about your story, your background. You have a, a really interesting career that you've led and, and life. So why don't you tell us your story? Yeah. So I um, grew up in San Francisco, had a great, great life there. I actually grew up in San Francisco, San Francisco. So some people say they grew up in San Francisco, but they really lived in like Marin. Right. No, I lived in San Francisco, San Francisco. In the city. Yeah, in the city. Went to high school there, uh, went to Santa Clara University, had a great experience there. I ended up going to law school at the University of Illinois, so a top 25 law school. And then I decided, gosh, I don't want to practice law. So I came home one day and told my parents, I know I'm graduating from a top 25 law school, but I'm going to go rent cars for enterprise. And my parents <laughs> almost fell out of their chairs. Like, what the heck are you doing? But I worked at enterprise. I got promoted really fast there. I was the fastest person to get promoted to an assistant manager at that time in the history of that region. Moved into the assistant manager role. Then I moved into the car sales department there. So cars was one of the top rookies of the year for the nation and moved into an assistant manager role. Did a great job there. Got promoted in about four to five months to a air, what they call an area car sale manager. So I ran that location, that car sales location for about a year and a half, somewhere in there, two years. And then there was an opening down here in Southern California for a regional manager position. So I threw for that, got promoted there, did really well, got moved to our LA region and then woke up one day and just decided this is not what I want to do with my life is rent cars and sell cars. Was not a good husband. I didn't feel like I didn't feel like I was attentive and was fighting with my boss at the time. So I was like, man, this is probably me. I probably need to do something else. So a friend of mine was working for Solar City, and he's like, have you ever thought about Solar City? And I'm like, what is a Solar City? I've never heard of it. <laughs> like it's the largest solar company in the world. And I'm like, ah, never heard of it. So I did my research, and I was like, wow, it's a really cool mission. Met with J.M. Miller. He interviewed me and offered me the job right after that, moved into a regional manager role, had one employee, grew it to a team of about 15 in about nine to 10 months. 
got promoted to a director, grew that director region, became the national senior director for retail sales. I think the title was called, (laughs) um, where I worked with our sales team inside of the Home Depots. So I managed 1,100 people nationwide under Toby at the time. Then got promoted six months later to the vice president of Southern California. Then the Tesla merger happened and I moved into a director, senior manager role as just a senior leader there. And then decided one day I wanted to try something new. So I work for Dosis now and I'm a an area manager basically for our accounts for Dosis. Wow. Well, one theme I recognize there is you've got a lot of promotions. And it's, <laughs> and it's no surprise, right? When you have a top performer, you can trust and is reliable and has a proven track record, you give them the opportunity to grow and, and further their career. And my hope is that the people listening to this show will glean some insights from your career and, and how you've gotten promoted, what you've done to position yourself to be the person that's tapped on the shoulder and, and gets the message, hey, we want you to have more responsibility, have a larger team, a new initiative, a new project, a new territory. And I'm curious, and you know, as you look back on your life and you reflect and you think about the moments, this show is all about insights. It's all about those times in our lives that are monumental in importance because they have something that happens that allow us to either take a new path, like a pivot point, or accelerate the path we're on and the trajectory we're headed. As you look back, can you think of some insights or some moments in your career that stand out as significant in nature and ones that really help make you the person you are today? Yeah, there's a couple. I think the the earliest one that comes to mind was I was in high school and I was trying to figure out what college I wanted to go to. And so at that time, I actually, I was one of those kids that I applied to a bunch of schools. So my dad went on a college tour and we we traveled to about 11 schools. Mm -hmm. And I remember when we got to Santa Clara University and I looked around the campus and I saw the beauty that was there. And I saw an integration between education and religion, but not in the way that you would think. Jesuit education is very different than most educations when it comes to Christianity. They're not, they don't force it down your throat. Their philosophy is we want to teach you about religion and what is your connection to God. And it, through that, you will probably choose Christianity as the way to go, right? But they don't beat you over the head with it. And so I chose Santa Clara as I looked at how to connect spiritually, religious or not, right? But spiritually with the world and education and really bring those together to be a better human being. Mm. I felt like I couldn't be the human being that I am today if I didn't have those building blocks of how to be the best version of me. And I still think I'm working to be that best version of me, but really understanding how does spirituality, being in the right state of mind and also being pressed academically or in business, being pressed to be the best version of yourself, how do those come together to create this unique person that I think lives inside of all of us? So I think that was a really monumental moment. Another moment was the day that I got flown up. And I, I was with you that day. We I think we both got promoted on the same day, actually. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't even know what we were doing there. <laughs> Neither one of us knew. And I'm sitting there and I meet Toby for the first time. And what I realized was the value that I brought to the organization 
was bigger than even I understood at the time, right? Like I always was pushing myself to be, oh, I always wanted the top numbers. I wanted this. But that was really the first opportunity to replicate what I was doing on a very large scale, right? And there was a specific job that Toby had in mind for you, me, and everyone else who was looked at at that time to really help grow the company and take it to the next level. And I think we were able to accomplish that right before we were moved into Tesla. I think we were able to accomplish that. And I think that realization that, wow, one individual being the best version of themselves can create a life, a foundation for so many other people if their mindset's in the right place and they're taking care of other people and they're thinking about other people. And that was the first time I really realized the impact that I could have on a large scale Mm. for a lot of people. You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of times the greatest limitation we have is the limitation we place on ourselves. Yeah. And we often have almost limited thinking in terms of what we're capable of, what we can accomplish. And it's the notion of thinking big. It's the notion of really having this unlimited, untapped potential. If we could harness that, and if we could truly believe that we can do way more than what we think we can do, sky's the limit, right? And so I totally relate to that second point. On the first point, I also relate. I don't know if you recall, but I also am Jesuit educated. I went to school right up the street. So you know from, exactly, yep. From right yep. where we're at right Royal now. Yeah, yep. That's right. And so for me, it was it was about service and understanding how important that is. But I, I totally recognize what you're talking about. And, and I'm curious, let's take that one first. How have you applied what you recognized when you first visited Santa Clara and understanding the the way in which spirituality, religion, your own personal persona, who you are as an individual, how those connect and how those help to guide the decisions you make and the person that you are today. Yeah. I think it really guided me to be a moral person. It really made me convicted, right? I don't drink. I don't smoke. I don't. And a lot of people are like, why? And that's just, <laughs> I, I don't. I just don't. And what I realized is to be a great leader for anybody or a great employee, you have to care. You have to care about people. You have to care about the task. You have to care about human beings because human beings receive that and they push for greatness, right? If they feel like you got their back and you're in their corner. And so taking that and saying, okay, what kind of person do I want to be? What's my moral stance? And sometimes to my detriment, right? I think there are other people throughout career who have decided like, I'm going to chase this at the detriment of their own moral fiber. Right. And for me, I could never do that. And so I, but I think it paid off for me over and over and over again, because the people who worked for me, they made me look a lot better than I was because they were always willing to give the best version of themselves. And I think that's what really helped me. Well, they're going to model what they see you exude, the type of person you are, the way in which you act, the way in which you provide an example for them to follow will obviously help to create the type of team that you want because mm-hmm. clearly if you had the approach where you're just going to do whatever it takes regardless <laughs> of the as you put it the moral fiber that that can be compromised then yeah you might get the result but at what cost mm-hmm. well can you go home to your kids right and and look your wife in the eyes and say yeah i just did a really great job right and for me, that was really important, right? Would my parents look at what I was doing at work and say, that's great. That's awesome. I'm really proud of my son. Would they look at it and go, yeah, he made some money, but that I'm not proud of him. I'm not proud of the way that he got to that. So that always kind of stuck with me. 
And I think that Jesuit education gives you that well-roundedness of, of being that type of person. Yeah, you could put your head down on the pillow at night and feel good about what you've mm-hmm. done. You could feel good about looking your family in the eye and telling them what you do on a daily basis. And they're going to look at you like a superhero as opposed to a super criminal yeah. if you're doing something <laughs> the, the wrong way. Yeah. Anything else stand out as you look back at your Santa Clara uh, example and, and the insight you had there in terms of how that's helped to form who you are? I, I, I love what you've said so far, but is there anything else that, that stands out to you? I think you talked about compassion, right? Like that's, that's really a, a foundation of a good Jesuit education and how can you be compassionate for the people around you? And really understanding what that word means, being compassionate, it's really care. And that someone else's struggles, problems, they matter just as much as yours. And how can you be connected to that person on a regular basis? And I think the Jesuit education really pushed and helped me not only in my work life, but it helped me in my personal life Mm -hmm. with my wife and my kids. What type of man did I want to be for them? Because at the end of the day, if I'm not the right man for my wife and kids, it doesn't really matter what's going on at work. And so that's kind of like the foundation of everything that matters and that com- compassion, which I would would also say is akin to love. And how do you love people? How do you love yourself? How do you love what you do? And is the thing that you're doing, does it matter? And I think as you see those kind of things start to blend together, I think that's where my life has gone, but is still going. Like, I don't think my journey of to getting to that point is, is anywhere near complete. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I think the love that is felt from our teams and the compassion that we truly feel for them, their family, their career mm-hmm. and, and understanding them. And I, I think it's invaluable. You You can't put a price on how important that is to the relationships that we build with those that we work with. And I agree that the foundation that was set for both of us being educated where we were helped us. And, and it's funny because often it takes a conversation like this for us to recognize it, right? right yeah. or, or it takes the, us thinking about it Yeah. because we have to go back. Why, why is that? Why do I act in the way in which I do today? And, and what are the experiences in my life that have led to me being who I am today? And, and thank you for sharing that because it touches me and my own personal experiences Let's talk about the second insight that you mentioned, which is the idea of being able to think a little bit bigger and having the ability to realize what you are bringing to the table. I think all too often people limit themselves and limit their thinking and actually become their own worst enemy in a lot of ways. This experience that you, that you mentioned happened relatively recently, only a few years ago. And, and I knew you before that happened and you were already very accomplished, a law degree, multiple high level roles with publicly traded companies, had just a great track record. And yet you still placed a limitation on yourself. And thank you for being vulnerable and sharing that. I'm curious, why do you think you didn't recognize what you were bringing to the table? And then second part of the question is, how have you since then either adjusted your thinking or, or what's changed as a result of realizing just how valuable you are? Yeah, that's a that's a great question, right? And I think I'm still trying to understand the answer to that question. But I, I think what I was feeling at the time was 
a limitation, limited by my geography, limited by what I see, and not opening my mind up to what was possible. When I walked into, when I literally flew up to San Francisco, I never had an, an idea that, hey, I'm just going to walk out of there. And Toby was going to say, here's what we want you to do. We want you to take over a national organization and, and help us grow it. That I never went up there with that, that understanding. And I didn't know if I was prepared or ready for something like that. Cause you never, your first experience, right. you probably never are prepared or ready for that. Daunting, right? And so your own mind, my, my mind was limiting me from what I was capable, which I proved to be, which I was capable of doing. I think it's the one thing that I'm still fighting to this day. I think we all fight is fear, right? The fear of failure. Is that too much? Am I overreaching? What will people think about me? You know, I've had a really unique experience of being at almost every job that I am. I get to a level where there's no one that looks like me anymore, right? I'm the only African-American male in the room. I was the only African-American regional manager when I was a regional manager at Enterprise. As I looked up, there were maybe two group car sale managers across the country that were African-American. So as I kind of looked, and in, and in Southern California, where I was working, there was no African-Americans that were in my tree that were higher than me. And then I went to Solar City and the same thing happened. I was the only African-American director. And so sometimes that idea that am I overreaching right? Because there's no one around here that looks like me. Like, have I reached my ceiling? Right. And it's something that I try to mentor to a lot of people who reached out like, Hey, dude, like you're the only person that looks like you. Can you mentor me? Don't limit yourself. Right. Was always, but I was limiting myself based on my experience or what I saw. And that experience shaped me to understand that I was never going to compromise my value ever again. Right. No matter where I worked, there's a certain pay or opportunity that I'm looking for. There's a certain, I've accomplished enough in my life to say, this is what I deserve. I earned it, right? Like I've, I've earned it in my career. And up until that point, I was just running so fast. I just wanted to get to the next role. I wanted to make more money. I wanted to figure out what I could do. And I wanted to be the best at doing it that I could be. But it didn't have a a true value of 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 what my what I was worth, what I what what I was actually worth. And so I actually appreciate Toby. I talk to him, you know, every once in a while to this day because it wasn't just his friendship and his leadership and his companionship, but it was his trust and and almost saying, dude, yeah, you're young. Yeah, you've never done this before. Yep. 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 You've been promoted a couple of times. But I believe in you and I know you're the right person to do it. And we accomplished some really cool things in a very short amount of time together. So so cool, man. I mean, you're living proof that you can accomplish anything that you set out to accomplish. And sometimes others are going to believe in you more than you're at the time able to believe in yourself. And sometimes it's a little bit complicated. You're actually a mentor to others, telling them to believe in themselves yeah. and, and you believing in them yeah. probably more than they believe in themselves. Let's dive in. And if you're feeling comfortable, because yeah, absolutely. I, I think you're touching on something that like is a problem. Let's just be honest about it in all over existence, not least of which is corporate America, which is a diversity gap, major diversity gap when it comes to leadership, when it comes to promotions, when it yeah. comes to a lot of things. So, and I actually want to explore this 
not only because it's it's a problem, but because I know in 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 knowing you and knowing your 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 who your mother is and 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 the influence that she's had in your life. I'm curious, you know, let's talk about the emotional impact on on you, but also the responsibility that you feel as somebody that who who has broken through and set the example and paved the way and paved the path so that others who see you look at you as a role model and you provide inspiration to them. So no, I get it. I totally understand. And I don't know if this was the, where we originally thought the podcast would go, but I think it's a really interesting topic, right? As an African-American, especially successful ones, you live this life where you're always conscious of the fact that you're black, right? Which is unbelievably difficult to deal with daily, right? And you're reminded of it in the media and in music. And and, I mean, it's thrown in your face every day. And there's times where you're like, why do I have to be the response? Like, why why am I responsible for every African-American that comes up underneath me? But then you look around and go, well, if not me, then who? Right? Because though there are people who are very sympathetic to the challenges, there's very few people in that level that understand actually what someone is feeling, right? Understanding that you may go into a boardroom, have a great conversation, drop some knowledge, grow the business, and you could walk out the door and a police officer could say, hey, based on the color of your skin, I think you did one, two, three, four, and five. And some people will look at that and go, that's not real life. Well, Let's sit down for a little while, tell you some stories, right? (laughs) That you would never believe happened. And so that's a responsibility as a leader that you carry every day. And you have to figure out how to help without enabling people, right? Because it can't be an excuse for why you don't succeed, Mm -hmm. but it's a challenge that you have to be willing to face and overcome and understand how to try traverse a world that to you, you we just talked about it's not built for you it was never built for a person who looked like you right with your challenges and the things you've gone through in life i'm actually working on and and my friends are encouraging me i've outlined a book that i want to write and it's it's really talking about success from failure so it's like hey my failures have led to x success but from a context of what we're just talking about right now, being the only one in the room, right? And there's no person there to look to. Very few people right underneath me to look to. Usually no one on the sides. And so how do people who are young professionals who feel underrepresented, whether that be from a race or the way that they think, they maybe think a little bit different than someone else or political view, or they just feel underrepresented. How can they be successful in an environment where they feel like maybe this environment wasn't built for me. Well, they can, they can. And I think I'm living proof that you can find a way to be successful in that world. And so the responsibility is difficult and hard, but it's one that you have to take. If all the things we talked about in the beginning of this interview, compassion, love, if you believe in those things, then you have to be a person who's willing to say, I will take on more responsibility to help other people reach their dreams. And that's everybody. And a lot of those challenges are complex. Wow. So much to unpack there. And, and I'm a big believer in calling audibles. You're right. Yeah. This, wasn't, <laughs> this wasn't the intention of this show, but 
if this is what the show becomes, it's what it's meant to be. Yeah. And so, and I get chills just saying that. Yeah. Let's start the unpacking. The, first and foremost, you talk about, if not me, then who? I think that's a powerful concept to think about because you're stepping up because if not you, then who, right? And even though there are people, I mean, just like myself, I, of course I care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do I really feel what it's like? No, I can't. I mm-hmm. can't. It was, uh, I can't know what it feels like mm-hmm. to be a black man or black woman moving up in the corporate landscape. I can't just because of who I am. And so I, I do think there's a certain amount of responsibility that you, that you feel as a result of being in the position you're, you're in and, and having the success that you've had. And people are, are looking toward you. If not you, then who? I'm curious, that being the case, have you been able to develop a, a way in which you can help those that are seeking advice or, or guidance? Meaning, you know, if somebody's listening to the show right now and they are they're motivated, they're hardworking, they have all the talent to be successful, but frankly speaking, they either haven't gotten the opportunity or they haven't had a long enough career to see the types of success stories like yourself happen in their own life. Do you have any immediate advice or bits of wisdom that you could share for for that type of person? Do not use your challenges as an excuse for why you're going to fail. Because though the challenge you have is unique, you're not the only person in the world that has challenges, right? So though you can't understand that, Billy, right? You have other challenges that maybe I don't understand, right? And it's, some people would say the challenge of race is more harder than the challenge of sex or, you know, sexual orientation or whatever, but it's not for me to determine that. So, and it's not for that person to determine that. Right. And so the first piece of advice is don't use your obstacles, your, your challenges as an obstacle for your success, right? You can be successful no matter what. The second piece I would say is find mentors, find people who reach out to me. My LinkedIn is public. You can, you can reach out to me and find people around you because there are, there are people. If you open your eyeballs who've found ways in very difficult situations to be successful, find mentors, find people that can help. And lastly, do really exceptional work. It's very hard to, to look away from exceptional work. And it's something that my parents told me when I was very young. It's old, it's old school, but as a black man, you are going to have to be two times better than your white counterpart. Now, have I had to be two times better? No, no, that's not the case for getting promoted. But it's a mentality that you take is I'm going to do the best work I possibly can every single day. My work will, it will speak for itself, right? And every promotion that I've gotten, it wasn't because I was black, clearly, because there was no one else black promoted. I got it because my work was really good. My people spoke really highly of me. I got my people paid and promoted. I did the things that I was a great representation of the company and the brand, what they were looking for. And I was willing to grow and be a better person at every step of the way. Those things transcend whatever race, creed, color, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. right? It transcends all of that. Hard work is, is everyone can do it. 
And so those would probably be the three things that I would say that they could do today to put themselves in a better situation than they were yesterday. Let's start with the last piece. You, you said it, right? The, the work will speak for itself. And I think the more you can make your set up yourself in a way where they literally, and when I say they, I mean those decision makers who Mm -hmm. will do, who will promote and will, who will give opportunities to any employee and you make their decision easy by doing the most incredible work of your life Mm -hmm. and making it a no, an absolute no brainer. And, And so I think that's, that's sage advice. And then in terms of mentors, surround yourself with people who you can learn from who have done what you seek to do, it, it just makes sense. Learn from those who have been down the path that you're headed. Don't try to do it all yourself. I think all too often, we're such control freaks by nature. And by the way, I, I more than most probably, <laughs> where I try to do way too much and don't do it alone. There's people out there who are more than willing to give their time and, and help you out. And, and thank you for offering Hopefully you don't get hit up too much. <laughs> uh, it's super generous offer. And then the first thing you mentioned, don't make excuses. I, I have a t-shirt that says no regrets, no, no excuses. I had that on my baseball hat when I was a high school baseball player. And I think in life, a lot of times there are legitimate excuses that can exist. Mm-hmm. And you've heard victim mentality, right? <laughs> I'm a victim. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. And you may be a victim. It may be legitimate. The excuse may be legitimate. And I'm speaking just generally, right? And it doesn't matter what the situation is. One, being the victim doesn't change. It doesn't change the reality. Yeah, you either are or you're not. Okay, but making an excuse and and, and saying, woe is me, saying it's not going to help you. It probably hurt you. And I think what you're saying is don't allow that to impact your abilities and your talent and your trajectory that you can go on because that exists regardless of, of everything else. And I think if you can look past that as hard as it may be, and I, I can't imagine how hard it may be in, in the situation you're talking about, to your point, I may have other things, but I can't imagine just like, you know, as you put it, right. You, you can't understand if it were a gender uh, issue mm-hmm. or a sexual orientation issue, you can't, nor can I understand that. However, regardless of the situation, we can't allow what is happening to be an excuse and to be a roadblock that you can't get past. Well, your kids can't eat excuses, right? So at the end of the day, I have a responsibility to feed my family and take care of my family. And when the mortgage is due, they're not like, well, you're going to get to skip a month because you're black in corporate America. No, you know, I've got to do what it takes, right? And are there opportunities where I felt like my race played a part in me not receiving X, Y, or Z? Absolutely. I felt that. Am I right? Sometimes I'm probably wrong. Sometimes I could be right. But at the end of the day, if I do the best work possible, I can still get the opportunities that I'm looking for and I can provide for my family. Right. And that's the most important piece is taking care of my home. Right. Like I, I got, you got to do that. What have you done or what, what do you recommend doing in a situation where let's say you are passed up and you legitimately believe at least in part because of your race, Mm. what do you do? Probably punch a wall or (laughs) whatever you do therapeutically to get away for a minute. Um, I don't know. I always, I have a great wife. I think I have the best wife in the world. I'm probably biased, but she's amazing. (laughs) I talk to her, right? And I talk to my parents quite often. And then when I'm feeling that way and 
they help me, they listen and they empathize. And, and then eventually it's like, okay, cool. What, what's our next steps? Like, is this a place you want to work? If, if not, I support you a hundred percent. Like we'll figure it out. Let's go find something else. If it is a place that you work, how do you resolve what you're feeling? Right. And I think that that's really the best thing that you can do because the reality is if you want to be successful, you have to figure out ways to communicate in a way where the people around you want to be around you still, right? So every time you feel like you got passed over, if you go in there and be like, this is because I'm black and HR and blah, blah, blah. If you're wrong, that could be really bad for your career, right? And so are there op- are there times where I have talked to HR about the way I felt? Absolutely. But I made sure that these are my ducks in a row. Here's the person that got promoted. Here are my numbers. Here's their numbers. Mm. This person has a relationship with this person. They happen to look the same. I don't have that relationship with them. I look very differently. I'd like to understand how this decision was made. Right. Cause I don't, it doesn't seem like the criteria that was put in place for the decision to be made were followed. And I've never had backlash because of that. I've never had, and I've always gotten an explanation that was either like, Hey, you know what? I'm not quite sure. Like we got to figure this out. Da, da, da. Or sometimes it's like, Hey, this is what we were looked at. And okay, that's cool. I understand. And that's great. I think you have to temper if you want to work in corporate America, You have to temper your response and know when is the right opportunity. And I think this is true for anybody for any reason. When is it opportunities for you to say, hey, this is this is really bad. I got to raise my hand and another opportunity for you to just take a step back and go, maybe it wasn't because of this. Maybe it was because of something else. Or I'm just going to remove myself from this situation and go take my talents. You know, like LeBron's go take my talents to South Beach, right? Like I'm going to I'm going to leave here. What I can say is that I've never left a opportunity where there's people that work there today who still aren't saying, man, Travis was really awesome. Like he was really great. It was a great situation and we loved working with him. And that's how I want to leave every situation Mm -hmm. is still having great relationships because you just never know where you want to be or who you're going to be with or who you could be sitting in a podcast for across from right now. You just never know those things. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to burn bridges. You don't want to put yourself in a position to not have the relationships with those that you're you're working with and to your point when you do or if you do take action especially if it's action going to hr or making lodging a formal complaint which to your to your own you know point sometimes you should do that when you do it make sure you have your ducks in a row and i really loved your first point which is who do you who do you love and trust that you yeah, can talk to? You have to. You gotta you gotta get it off your chest and vent and 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 share and with people that you trust and get the guidance, get the feedback, get the suggestions. Find out is this the place that you want to stay? Is this a place that you believe in and you you could see yourself continuing to have a career? Or is this it was it so egregious and so bad that you literally can't work there anymore? Which in some cases probably you know can happen. I, I want to talk specifically about the role your parents have had in your life. You sent me a video once and I was like blown away to just, just the story of, of your mother and, and like the, the whole, it's, it's fascinating. So maybe you could give us a little snapshot into who your parents are and, 
and also what role they've played in your life. So uh, my mom and my dad are both highly educated. My dad has two master's degrees in fine arts and my mom is a PhD in theater. And if you think about a professor (laughs) and what you can accomplish, I mean, she's in Hall of Fame for this. She's a fellow for that. She was inducted into a bunch of different stuff. And so she's had a lot of impact and those are all great things, right? Great career goals that they both accomplished. My dad still works in Hollywood today and makes short films and a bunch of stuff. But the impact that they really had on my life was how to help me be the person that I am today, right? Being role models about how to carry myself, giving me experiences in life. I traveled with my, I was, I was blessed to travel this whole country as my dad was a performing artist um, for a lot of my young life. So I saw probably 46 states before I was 12 years old, right? Just traveling around the country with him and them always giving me experiences to help me decide what do you want to be? What do you want to accomplish in life? Where do you want to be? And their impact of being really great role models is invaluable. I it's I would not be the human being that I am today without them as an example, right? And so from a professional standpoint, they've accomplished a ton of things, a laundry list of of different things. But the human beings that they were allowed me to be the human being that I am because they were caring. They gave me discipline. Um, they helped me not make excuses. They helped me see the world without making letting that be an excuse for non-success. Um, and then they allowed me to make my own mistakes, right? Gave me advice, but said, Hey, if this is where, if this is what you want to do, I'm, I got your back, but this is your choice. Right. And allowing me to grow and be the human being that I am today. Yeah. I can't say enough about what they did for my life. It's a great thing when, when you hear about a, an individual who recognizes and appreciates what's, what their parents have done in particular, when they've set the example on how to be a great human being and when they already have their own success, like clearly there's no shortage of things they've done in their lives that have proven their own success and ability and talent to excel and and grow. But probably one of their greatest accolades or the greatest things they've done is raise someone like yourself. Do you have brothers and sisters? No, I was the only child. So only I was, child. It was just me, just me. Yeah. That's what my mom would say. She would say I'm her greatest accomplishment <laughs> until my grand, until her granddaughter came and my daughter. Now it's, it's all about her. Uh, my daughter so is her, funny. her life now. So, so travel is a really important thing. I really believe that my own travel played a critical role in helping define me as a human being and help me realize what I have here, living here and growing up here in U.S. And and certainly believe that what I've been afforded in terms of, I didn't grow up rich by any means. Uh, my parents were middle class and I grew up mostly in apartments and, and that sort of thing. But I also know that they worked really hard to make and help me surround me with positive people and role models and people that were very successful in their own right. But one of the things I did early in in life after college was travel. It sounds like you did it much earlier than me and you traveled and and saw all these states. Curious why and how you feel that impacted who you are. I think that it gave me unique experiences. 
I think one of the things that we're trying to do for our daughter today is give her really unique experiences so that she's not locked into what she sees every day is the only thing that exists. I think those unique experiences give you um, a leg up in, you know, for instance, working in a corporate world, I understood different cultures and because I traveled so much, I'd seen so many different things. It was easy for me to adjust in a workforce and I wasn't necessarily searching for everyone from California or everyone who was black or everyone who grew up in my neighborhood in San Francisco or whatever the case may be. I knew that there was a world that was bigger. So I understood a lot of things. I knew a lot of things. And I think that travel gives you the opportunity to be exposed to so many different things that just make you a much more well-rounded person. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. What this reminds me of is I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here and I'm going to go probably a long way to travel a short distance, but when we did a training and, and you were you were part of this, you you did a phenomenal training on recruiting and building a team and we brought it out to the whole country. And a kind of a precursor to that was really talking about diversity of thought and simply by having a diverse workforce, it it lends itself to having diversity of thought. And the vulnerable part for me is even though I agree with diversity and concept. I'm being blunt here. I couldn't articulate why. Either that or I didn't know why. I, I Maybe instinctually I knew. Having multiple conversations and multiple discussions and really sharing and learning that when you have a diverse workforce, you have all the experiences of unique individuals instead of a homogenous, very, everyone has the same experiences. They kind of grew up in the same type of bubble they have the, the the same type of experiences. And what I recognized in, in learning this is just how important diversity is. But what you're sharing, experiences help us as human beings also have a diversity of thought. So I guess where I'm going with this is it's really fascinating because when you have a lot of these unique experiences, a compilation of unique experiences, it provides... And what I feel is more wisdom, more ability to leverage all these different things that have happened in our lives to help inform the decisions we make, the way we carry ourselves, the way we act, the way we understand things that are coming our way. And it just makes you, I think, better equipped to thrive in anything, but especially in a work type environment where there's always going to be new things thrown at you. And when you have experienced a lot in your life, I think you're better prepared. So that's that's fascinating that, that you shared it in that way. And I'm curious, when you think back on your experiences and think about the, the travel that you've had, does anything stand out in terms of your life and the career that you've led that you remember, oh yeah, I had this experience or I had this happen to me and then it helped inform the decisions that you made. Can you give some examples or anything specifically that, that comes to mind? I don't necessarily know from travel. I think diversity in thought. Uh, I used to work at the Multicultural Center at, at Santa Clara University. And so it was really a unique experience because I got to see cultures from all over the world and very intimate parts of their culture, dances and languages and foods and relationships and got to work in very close places with those folks. And so I think that 
that created a diversity of thought that allowed me to manage very diverse teams and also know what you're talking about right now in terms of having a diverse team and and how does that actually generate more revenue, right? For a company, because you can access certain communities because you have a diverse workforce, you have unique ideas that come to the table to actually decide which idea is actually the best. When you have diverse thought, people are bringing in different ideas to the table. And so I think that experience was really unique. I think travel really blurs in my mind because I traveled so much when I was younger that it's just, oh yeah, I've been there before. So as people started to talk about, oh, I'm from Hawaii. Okay, what what island are you from? Oh, you know about Hawaii? Yeah, my family lives in Honolulu. I've been there three, four times. Oh, awesome, right? And it created unique conversations with customers or connections with customers or other employees because I had so many different travels that I've been to so many different places and I understood different cultural importances about that. And so I think it more just helped me be a more well-rounded was, person. Yeah. The word just, I was thinking, yeah, yeah, well-rounded. Just be a well-rounded person, you know? Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I mean, being well-rounded, being able to have conversations with anyone and being able to tie back your own unique experience and have that be a, a connecting point with the other person is so powerful. Let's dive in on on the the diversity of thought, but also on recruiting because that is something you're exceptional at. You you've mastered the art of identifying type talent, right? And that means just finding them and then creating the value for them to see that whatever opportunity exists is the right opportunity for them, and then also helping them and developing them. You're you're huge on training and one of the reasons that you and I work so well together, being that I, I came from the training part of the company, is that you more than most, if not the most, embraced training. Of, of any leader that, that I had the opportunity to work with, you and your team really embraced the training. So I know there's a, a bit there, but want to see if we can tackle what your mindset is, how you approach recruiting, and then the development side, how you cr- approach the, the training side. So from a mindset perspective, I always thought that people were the most valuable commodity you had. And as a young leader, I had a mentor named Steve Ruckman. And one of the things he told me in one of my reviews, our numbers were high and we had all this stuff. And one of the things that he dinged me on was developing your people, right? And I'm like, dude, my people are the best in any region. We got the best numbers. And he goes, you aren't making them the best version of them. You're trying to find more use. The reality is there's only one you. So if you don't find people that compliment you and bring more to the table, you'll always be limited by just by having a bunch bunch of yous. And, and in some ways, that's a good thing, right? If you could find a bunch of yous, that's great, but you're unique. So why not find another person who's super unique and you guys come together to create something even better? And I kind of racked my brain on, that seems like some mumbo jumbo crap, right? Well, I don't really know what that means, but it really started to force me to look at how do you hire talent that complements each other, that raises all, you know, I think the the tide that raises all boats, right? Like the, how do we all raise each other? And so I really started to start reading books. One of the books I read was Good to Great. I've read that book like probably 10 times. It's one of my favorite books. And it really focuses on, one of the chapters is focused on having the right people on the right seats in the bus. 
And they talked about one executive, one story inside that book that really stuck out to me was the executive who was like, I don't know where I'm hiring, what roles I'm hiring for, but you're like really awesome. So you're on my team and you're like really awesome and you're on my team and we'll figure out like what roles we all have. And that really stuck with me. And so as I started to recruit or identify talent, that was what I was looking for. And then it made it easier to recruit because I could say, Billy, you're freaking amazing. And I need you on my team to complete this, right? It wasn't like, hey, Billy, I need you to be an assistant manager for me. What does that mean? Like, how long for how much money? But it was like, hey, Billy, we're building something great and we're missing what you bring to the table, your insight your knowledge, your passion for training. Like, that's what I need on my team. I can't, I can't do, I can't accomplish this goal without having Billy on my team. It made people feel valued, made them want to be a part of that organization more than for the title or the money. And so it started with identifying talent. And then how does that bring value to my team? And then letting that person know, being vulnerable, hey, I can't do this without you. You're going to be really valuable. And I think as a recruiter, that really is what helped me bring on great talent And then it was like, okay, if I recruited them here, how can I expect them to be great if we don't train and develop them? And so I knew if I could hire the right person and train them and develop them to do the right things, we would find success, right? And it's it seems hard, but it's easier to do that the right way. It's longer, takes a longer period of time. But if you do it the right way, it's much easier because I'm not always replacing leaders. I'm not trying to find people. And what they start to do is they start to do the same thing down the line. They start to hire great people and train and develop them. And then it becomes a system where our management team is, you know, one through seven in the top, you know, 10 or whatever. We've got seven of the 10 spots in the top 10 because we found all these really great people and they start to develop in the same way. And they started to train and develop. We started to bring, build an organization that was that lasted a long time, that was there, that cared for each other, that had similar values, but brought something unique to the table. And I think if you miss on any of those things, that's where the kink in the armor will be, right? And that's where you can't satisfy the customer at the level that you should at the end result, which then does not create for the company the value that you're meant to create for them. But the first piece is, identifying, taking the time to go, no, this is the person I need, not this person, right? And it's it's not just about filling that seat on the bus, but filling the right person in the right seat on the bus. Right. And I think you touched on a really important point, which is not just finding a whole bunch of yous. Yeah. Because there again, it's you're lacking the diversity of thought, you're lacking the diversity of talent, you're lacking the ability to find people that will fit a specific need or hole that you have in your in your organization. So let's dive a bit deeper and talk about specifics. You know you're not going to look for use, but what are you looking for? What are you looking for in an individual contributor? What are some of the traits or qualities? And then what are you looking for in somebody that is a leader on your team? Yeah. So individual contributor, I want to hard work. Are you a self-starter? Are you self-disciplined? Can you get yourself going? And can you do it at a high level for a long time? And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to ask questions about, tell me about a time when. 
So I want to know that you've done it before and not that you can conceptually do it. And you don't have to do what we are doing now, but have you had a time where you had to overcome adversity and work through that? Tell me about a time. So resiliency is extremely important to me. I think if you're super resilient, you're hardworking, you're disciplined, and you're on time. And I know everyone's like, on time, that seems like kind of out of place. Time for me is a respect issue, right? Because it's the one thing in life you can never get back. If I don't respect you enough to value your time, then how am I going to sell you something? How am I going to be a good teammate? How am I going to be? It's the first sign of disrespect, right? And so timeliness for me is huge. Heart. Do you have a caring heart? And I know sometimes people are like, oh, that's touchy-feely. But at the end of the day, if you don't care, if you don't care about something, if you don't care about, you don't have to care about you don't, you don't have to care about the product we're selling yet because you don't know about it. But if you don't care about people or someone or or have passion in your life, and maybe that's a better word for it is passion, how can you exude that about a product that I'm hopefully you're going to get passionate about as we go on through time, right? Because I think the people who sell with passion usually have the most success. Yeah, enthusiasm is contagious, yeah, right? Yeah. And it's sales is really a transference of, of energy and the more you can exude that passion and that confidence and that excitement for what you're selling, the more others are going to see that and they're going to want to be a part of it. Absolutely. So those are kind of the core competencies for an individual contributor. And then obviously whatever job it is, there's, you know, functionalities that you would, you would have to do for a leader. I think it's very similar. A lot of the stuff is exactly the same, but the difference for a leader that, or what I would add for a leader is, do you have foresight? is what do you see do you see beyond what is in front of you can you can you problem solve at a deeper level i think as a leader that's what they ask for and they need from us in an organization right like here's what we need you to fix go fix it do you have the foresight to go hmm this is a challenge i'm seeing right now but if i fix it this way this will be the problem i have tomorrow so i've got to fix it either that way and know this is going to be a challenge or try to find another way to fix it. Right. And so I really look for that in leadership. Um, the compassion piece is really huge for me. I had a quote for all my people. You want to be a good manager. You got to get your people paid. Like, Oh, people love Tesla and it's green and da 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 da. Yeah. Tell them tomorrow they're not getting a paycheck. <laughs> right. And they're not coming to work anymore. Right. So if you don't, the, the reason people have a job, is because they want to get paid. So your job as their manager, your number one priority above all things is to get them paid. Because if they don't get paid, they're not staying. And so I need a manager who can help their people get paid, whether that be a lot of times through leadership and inspiration. Sometimes it's just dragging them to the finish line and helping them see a win so that they'll go get another win tomorrow because winning is contagious, right? And so sometimes it's like, hey, we're just going to go do this together and we're going to go we're going to go win together. Also someone who has personal responsibility and overall responsibility. So personal responsibility, my me me, I did something wrong and I'm willing to take responsibility for it, but do you take responsibility for your team? There are too many leaders in our in organizations today that blame their employees for lack of success. If it's the employee's fault, then what are you in the role for? If it's always their fault. So either you hired incorrectly, so you have the wrong people on your team. You didn't train them correctly. 
or you did and you didn't have processes in place to hold them accountable or help them through the challenges that they have today. But it's not their fault that you didn't do those things or you're not holding them accountable. You're the leader. And so I need people on my team who understand that responsibility and are willing to take that on. And and it's tough to be a leader and it's unfair to be a leader. It's not always the fair thing in life, but to be a great one, you have to have those qualities, I think. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. And I think the personal responsibility piece in particular is often the linchpin without that, you know, everything else can fall by the wayside because you could have the compassion piece. You could have all those other pieces, but if you don't have that personal responsibility, then you're going to miss a lot of the important pieces that need to get done. When you think about yourself and you're all, we're all growing, right? We're all developing, changing as time goes on. How have you evolved as a leader yourself? Hmm. Patience. I think I'm more patient than I was before. I think it's something I'm still working on. I'm not as patient as I should be, but I think that that's a piece. I'm working on myself right now. I'm taking a coaching class to be a better coach. So I think I need to be a better listener at times. I think everything is not the end of the world. I think when you're a young leader, you feel that way, right? Like something happened and oh my God, it's the end of the world. So really being able to evolve through that and understand that growth is growth is stages, right? Sometimes you got to go backwards to go forward and helping your people see that. I think the thing I'm still working on today though is how to see the positive when the negative is so prevalent. My wife thinks I'm the most optimistic person in the world, right? She's like, you always think everything's going to be okay. And for the most part, I would say that that's true. But there are times where you and where you get to a point where you feel like I've done everything. What else am I supposed to do? And it can it can have you spiral into a negative place where you don't want to live and getting stuck there. And how do I not get into those places? I mean, even though I think I'm better at it than I was, how do I not get in those places at all, right? Because they're never productive. It's never helpful to get into that spot ever, never, never, never. So how do you work on that? And I think as a leader, I'm trying to get better at that today. Yeah, I think uh, any leader that says they haven't got to that point <laughs> is probably lying, despite how optimistic they are by nature, right? You may by nature be optimistic, but there's always going to be something that can happen, a situation that could arise. And ultimately, it does become hard to avoid feeling a bit of negativity. What I think a great leader and a an important part of a great leader is the ability to get out of that negative headspace, adjust their thinking, and get back onto the positive way of thinking. Because it's not like you can completely avoid it. It's going to happen. But how do you adjust to move beyond it and move past this negative mindset that exists? So you've mentioned some things that you're working on. One of the things that that I'm I'm super curious about is your career trajectory, right? You you got a law degree. Well, first, what inspired you to get the law degree? And then when did you make that decision? Because you mentioned that you, you told your parents, hey, I got this fancy law degree from a top 25 school, but no, I'm going to go rent cars yeah. and, and work for Enterprise where yeah. you had a, a phenomenal 10-year career. What made you decide to, to not pursue law? So it's interesting. I went to law school because you watched you know, the OJ case and you saw, oh, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And you're like, man, that was so cool. Like Johnny Crocker's like the coolest person in the world. And you watch all these law shows and it's, it seemed like a lot of fun. And you're like, ha ha, gotcha. Here's the bloody knife or whatever. Right. And um, 
so I thought that that's what it's all about. And actually, they said a lot of people go into law school expecting that to be law school. And at the time, I don't know if these statistics are the same, but when I was there, actually 50% of the people who went to law school never practiced law. So they got their degree and they never practiced because their expectation of what law was and what it is were completely different. And so what I understood law to be, at least for the people who make a ton of money early, is a lot of reading, writing, and finding loopholes. This is the loophole, right? And and sometimes that loophole is not necessarily what you personally agree with, right? But it's your client and you have a responsibility to defend your client, right? And so I felt like that was what it was and that wasn't necessarily something that I wanted to be a part of. It just didn't fit my it didn't fit what what I wanted to do and I wasn't in a place to do the law that I thought I really wanted to do, which was really help people. I understood that I'll, it was either going to take a while to get my practice to where I wanted it to be or you're going to be comfortable making a little bit of money for a really long time and that wasn't just that wasn't how I wanted to live my life. One of my friends is a lawyer today and he's amazing. He built his own law firm and it took him a while to get to where he is today. And now it's paid off for him, but it took a, it took a while. Right. And and that wasn't necessarily the path that, that I wanted for myself. So I decided, what do I enjoy? Like, what do I want to do? And enterprise had an opportunity for you to grow as a leader. They were going to give you business skills. I mean, they say that enterprise is the best MBA you can get because it's just real world and they teach you how to run a business and they teach you really, really quickly. And I knew that because some of my friends had worked there before. And I felt like with my law degree, because of the skill sets that I had, that I learned in law school, that I was going to be able to maneuver enterprise or whatever faster because the things I learned. And it did, I think law school, I say today, I wouldn't be where I am today without law school. It taught my brain how to think very differently than maybe um, the normal person because lawyers just they're trained to think in a specific way a specific pattern here's the problem find the solution right and then move on to the next case right like that's that's really what lawyers are taught to do and so um, I felt like my brain was wired that way did you feel like your brain became wired that way or was wired that way before you got to law school? Like, did law school help you? To yeah, think I think law school shaped it. I mean, I think that's what law school is really about. It helps you ask really great questions, helps you do research, helps you understand the importance of those things, and helps you find like, hey, before you take action, you better have something to back it up, right? You better have a case, you better have something, some facts to back it up. So I think it, it really taught me how to how to do that. Got it. Okay, makes sense. So so now, now when... We all have moments in our lives where we, for whatever reason, have a challenge. And, and sometimes the challenge could turn into failure. And, and failure is not in and of itself a bad thing. We, as you said, you know, sometimes failure breeds the greatest successes we have. And it's true. I mean, literally, I think every person that I've talked to so far in, in interviewing for this podcast have cited and, and commented on some of the failures leading to their most successful moments. When you look back at your life or your career, what what is a challenge or the biggest challenge that you faced? How did you overcome it and what did it teach you? I would say the biggest failure I ever had was I was applying for a group manager spot in enterprise and I had allowed myself to get into a funk at work and my numbers weren't where they used to be. They were just weren't as good. They weren't horrible, but they weren't where they used to be. But I, I got the interview, even though one of my numbers wasn't, I was actually not supposed to be interviewing because one of the numbers, enterprises, 
really strict. There's like six different categories of numbers you got to be at X, Y. But my numbers had been so good in the past and my name recognition was so well that they let me interview even though one of my numbers was down. And I went into the interview and I made an excuse for why I couldn't control one of the numbers. And I didn't get the interview. But the general manager, who could have just said, hey, we're not picking you, like, have a great day. He actually took the time. He took about 30, 45 minutes to really talk to me. And he said, you know, you are the most talented candidate of the candidates we hired. You, This should be your job. It's not. Because your mindset. And at first I was like, oh, my gosh, is it because I'm the black guy or whatever? No. And, and he sat down and he took the time. He's like, look, you got in this interview because of what you already did. You were going to win the interview because of what you can do. And you talking about what you can't control is showing me that if you get into this role, how are you going to control some of the things you can't control? Like, what are, what are you going to do when you get into that role? And you can say things will be different because I'll be in charge or I'll have a bigger role or whatever. But I want to see, and I took this into every interview that I've done since this day, but I want to see what you've done that shows me you can do the job at the next level. And he's like, I believe you can. I actually believe that you're the best candidate, but you didn't prove it to me in the interview process. And you let the excuses stop you from doing that. Now, there's a bunch of different ways you could have explained that situation that we were talking about. It had to do with our building cost. So yes, you don't control what the rent is, but what other costs do you control that you could have offset your building costs with, right? Hey, I know I don't control my building costs, but I did this knowing I didn't control my building costs so that I could reduce my overall cost. Or here's what I learned from that situation. I learned that I don't control my building costs, and so this is what I need to do in the future. Instead of flat out saying, well, that cost isn't my cost. So you know, if you took that cost away and he's like, because you're not going to take building costs away, right? If you build the new building for us, you're going to have to eat that cost, right? So what are you going to do to still make your business profitable? And we were profitable. We weren't as profitable as we would have liked to be. And I, that stung me a lot because it was an area I wanted to live. We already started researching schools. We were it was, it was a done deal. I didn't really want to work in, in SoCal anymore. Wasn't really vibing with my boss anymore. So I was like ready to get out the candidates that I was going up against. I had blown them out of the water in numbers for years and years. And so I was just like, I know this job is mine. And I never let that happen ever again in an interview. I never lost a job from that point on that I interviewed for actually ever. So since that point, I've never lost an interview that I've had. And it's because of that mentality. Well, it's great advice. It's a great insight because let's face it, you're tapping into an experience that you had in a very specific interview and it taught you a lesson that you've applied going forward. Let's peel back the onion on, on how to interview because we talked about what you look for in an interview, but what what advice do you have for somebody who is interviewing, who is trying to get a job, either interview for promotion at the place they already work or even interviewing to get a role at a new company? That's great advice right there, which is don't make excuses and don't talk about what you don't control or what you can't control and, and kind of justify why you didn't get something accomplished as a result of a situation. What other advice or suggestions do you have for somebody that is interviewing? Look the part. So 
I went to interview for Dosis, which is a very kind of laid back environment. I still wore a suit. You can't overdress for an interview, right? I'd rather look overdressed than completely underdressed. So look the part, I think, is is the first piece. The second piece is do your homework. There are so many candidates applying for jobs today. We open a posting and literally there will be 40 candidates in all of five five days. Like It's crazy how many people are applying for jobs nowadays. It's super competitive. So do your homework. Right. Don't walk into an interview and go, what company, uh, what company's calling me again? Or, hey, yeah, you guys make a cool whatever. Like, know about the company. Understand. Do your research. Don't take interviews just to take interviews. One of the things I hate when I'm interviewing people is, oh, well, I'm not quite sure I want the job. Then what the hell are we doing here? Right. Don't take interviews to take interviews. Take an interview for a job that you want because you're wasting the employer's time and you're also wasting your own time. Like, what's the point of doing that? So so make sure you're there. Speak to experiences instead of what I think I can do. So if someone says, hey, are you a hard worker? Instead of saying, yeah, I'm the hardest worker in the world, talk about a time where you showed hard work. Yeah, you know what? Here's a scenario where X, Y, Z happened, and this is how I showed how I worked really hard in that scenario. Be positive. Smile. People dig positive energy. And then lastly, know your worth. Don't be afraid to walk away from the interview if it's not going the way that you want it to do. Hold the company to a certain standard. I think companies respect that. That hey, this is not the standard of which I thought I was coming to work, and I'm a better employee than that, and I deserve more, right? And I think if you do those things in an interview, you'll be really successful. Yeah, all great pieces of advice. And I think when we think about going to an interview, it can be overwhelming, and we could feel all this flood of emotions. Don't allow yourself to become a victim to circumstance. Like the interview is an opportunity. It's opportunity for you to shine. It's an opportunity for you to, as you said, smile, show your enthusiasm and your passion. And don't come in without having done some of the the prep work to be able to articulate and explain why you'd be a great fit for the role, Mm -hmm. why this is the right company for you, because you believe in the company because of XYZ reason. One thing that I, I'm super curious about is is role models and people mm. that in your life that have been a role model for you and, and, and what they've taught you and what they've been able to set in terms of an example that you've ultimately followed. Who, who are your role models and, and maybe what did you learn from them? Yeah. Role model is, it's interesting. I think that's such a different word than mentor. So that's a little bit harder to like role model is I think a little bit deeper. Right. And so I think the role models, I would say my parents, that's an easy answer, but they truly are my role models in terms of my mom. My mom is extremely intelligent. So how she thinks through problems and how she navigates systems is amazing. My dad has this tenacity to accomplish goals where you're like, dude, that's not even realistic. Like, why would you do that? But he just keeps going and then he figures it out, right? So I learned that. But two people that really stick out to me is my grandparents and they're no longer with us. So God rest their soul. But my grandfather was the most consistent, disciplined, hardworking person I think I've ever met in my whole life. Um, Until, gosh, maybe 90, 87, somewhere in there, he would get up every single day and go for like a three mile walk. Hmm. Like it was crazy. And my grandmother was one of the wittiest, smartest, 
strategic people I think I've ever met in my life. I mean, she taught me how to play cards and we would play cards, but the strategies that she would think of and the problem solving, I literally took all of that stuff into what I do today. I would say if I were picking role models, those would be my role models. Where, uh, when you, that's so funny. You said that the card, I'm sure a lot of people can relate. I feel like that's just like a grandparent thing that yeah. people do. And, yeah. and I, I myself played cards with my grandparents. Now, is this your mom's side or your dad's side? My dad's side. Where do they live? Where Chicago. They- Chicago. Okay. So did you get to see them very often? Or Well, when I went to law school at Illinois, I saw them pretty often. It was about two and a half hours away. So I saw them pretty regularly. Um, when I was growing up, they would come to California quite a bit. I would go out there quite a bit. So we were really close. We were, we were really close. Tight-knit family. Love yeah. it. So Travis, one of the things that I love examining are habits and rituals because they really do play a role in, in our lives. Obviously- you hear about morning rituals and routines and things of that nature. You look at athletics and the, some of the greatest sports legends have very specific regimens that they go through, whether they're at the batter's box and they're you know doing something with their glove and their bat and they just have a system in place. So I'm always intrigued by professionals and leaders and what habits they've developed and they've learned about that have helped them be either effective or productive curious what habits you have or what rituals you have. Yeah. I usually create them at my job, right? Like whatever job I have, I will create kind of, this is the report I will click. This is what time I'm, I'm a stickler for repetition in what I do. I think that's where success is. Strangely enough, I don't have a lot of them outside of work. Like I don't wake up at a certain time every day. I don't, eat the same thing or anything like that, but I'll get into my job and I'll, what I try to do is I try to analyze whatever are the key KPIs or what do we need to focus on or what are our initiatives. And then I build my routine based on how to accomplish those goals. Um, So when I was at Tesla, there were certain reports that would always open up on my screen. Right. And I would, I'm one of those people also really love technology and how to create like, Oh, the one touch, So I would open my browser and boom, the seven reports that I needed were there. I would review them and then that would lead to what conversations I was going to have for the day. And then I would do those conversations and then I would come back and check our current performance. And then we would go back and have the rest of the end of the day conversations. And there was kind of this constant flow of check information, check in with your people, recheck the information and really check in with your people. And I really felt like there were a lot of managers that did so many other things throughout their day where I'm like, dude, none of that stuff matters, right? What really matters is what's the information tell you? Okay. What conver- what quality conversations are you going to have with your people? And then did those things impact performance throughout the day? And then what kind of conversations, whether those be affirmation, Hey, great job, man. You totally killed it. We just talked about it and you nailed it or Hey, let's correct. Let's course correct where we are today. Right. Yeah. I love, I love that you, you shared in the way that you did because what you're what you're really saying is your habit is developed as a result of the job that you're in, right? And that'll dictate you're big on consistency, you're big on systems and having a, a method, a methodology to the way in which you go about your day. And I think you're setting an example for your team, right? So if you have a system or a structure in place, it may not be the exact same thing that your team may use, but it may it may have a lot of the same things. And, and really what you're showing and what you're modeling is having a structure or a system in place that will allow you to accomplish 
what you need to accomplish on a day-by-day basis. And, and I know you're a very numbers-oriented person. Metrics are really important to you. How do you run the balance between being metrics-driven and, and numbers-oriented, but also recognizing the human component? How do you draw that balance? I actually think they go together. I think it's hard to develop a person to the potential without knowing what the, what the target is. Sometimes people are like, um, I don't like to look at the numbers. I just like to coach the person and the numbers will come. How do you know if what you're coaching is working if you don't look at the numbers or not tracking the performance? But tracking numbers without understanding the human being doesn't allow them to replicate their success. They don't know what they may be doing right or wrong. And so I think your job as a leader is to examine the numbers and understand the human being behind it and why the number is the number. For instance, someone could be struggling because their dad died, right? That's totally different than struggling because they're just not showing up to work on time, right? Like those are two completely different reasons and deserve two completely different coaching sessions to help them through it. And not being in touch with the human being will continuously have you managing the result instead of managing how to get to the result. And at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. Yeah, no, I think you're spot on. And clearly you can't ignore the human component. Your earlier point was number one objective is get your team paid, right? If they're working at a job, yes, they need to be making money. And one of the ways, especially in sales, that people make money is hitting their target, making sure that the the KPIs are achieved and you got to be results oriented. And so part of caring about the person is making sure and helping them achieve the level of success that they're capable of. We're going to do the lightning round in a minute, but I want to circle back for a few moments because I think you're uniquely qualified to be a mentor, to be a inspiration to especially African-American community that are growing their career, right? And so the, the, the audience that listen to this show, they're, they're people in corporate America, they're people looking for a role, they're people leading in manager roles or leadership roles, they're also entrepreneurs and people starting businesses. And what, in your eyes, you know, you, you've shared some really important points. What hasn't been shared yet that you think would be valuable for those type of listeners? And I think in some ways this has been shared already, but you have value. You know, everyone has value. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to find out what that is. And that fear can come through security. Gosh, I know my value is actually here, but if I go do that, then I have to leave my cushy job and I might not be able to do that. Okay. What's most important to you in life and how can you bring value to the world or or in your family? And sometimes it's, Hey, right now I got to stay in this job because I want to bring value to my family. It's the most important unit I have, but how do I start inching towards what my dream is and my passion and where I bring value to the world? So never forget how much value each and every single one of you have in life. I think that's how the world becomes a better place when we are all pushing to, to bring our value to the world and we're the best version of ourselves, Mm -hmm. the world becomes better. I think too many times we're trying to search for the easy answer to fix the world when it's fix yourself first. Such a great point. It's such a great point because leadership in particular often starts with your own work that you've done on yourself and becoming the type of person that others want to follow. Mm -hmm. Because fellowship 
is a funny thing. As a leader, you're not a leader unless others want and are willing to follow you. And they won't follow you unless they believe you are the type of person that should be followed. There's a lot of layers to that, not least of which, have you worked on yourself? Do you have the self-awareness? Do you have the confidence? Do you have the ability to know the value that you provide and not afraid to, in a very humble way, share that, right? Because you don't want to ever be arrogant, but you do need to showcase why you are the type of person that should be followed. So with that, we're going to go into what we call the lightning round. All right, here we go. The lightning round is a fun segment of the show where we talk about an emotional state, a situation, or I really just ask a question about particular type of experience and you just give me the gut response, the first thing that comes in your mind. I'm ready. The first one is what excites you? My family. I love coaching my daughter's basketball team. Like I, I just love being around kids. I love being around my family. That's probably it. Ah, yeah. Uh, you and me both. What scares you? Failure. Failure in 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 a bunch of at work, at home, not being the dad or the husband that I, I should be. It's the thing that scares me the most. Yeah, you're you're not alone. I think most people, <laughs> if they're being honest, would say the, the same thing. Yeah. What surprises you? How mean people in the world have become or the world is today. I think that there's a lot of stuff going on in the world today where you're just like, I just didn't expect human beings to be as mean as they were. Yeah. Yeah. Tis a shame. Tis a shame. If you feel comfortable uh, (laughs) answering, please do. If not, no big deal. But when was the last time you cried and why? Wow. I don't know. I I don't cry very often. It's something my wife talks to me quite a bit about. I actually don't know. It's probably something that had to do with her. Because that's the last person I remember crying around, um, something having to do with our relationship or something like that. But I don't, I need, probably need a good cry. I, I haven't cried probably in a very, very long time. I don't cry very often. Okay. Well, get those uh, tear, yeah. tear ducts <laughs> working a little bit more. <laughs> you talked about one of the books that you recommend, and, and maybe you could elaborate on that book. But, uh, you know, Good to Great's a fantastic book. I think everyone should read that book. But if you had to say there's one book you've recommended more than any other book, what book is it? It is that. It's good to great. It is my favorite book. It is, I think, a great look at how to be successful in the business world. And I think it applies on a little scale and and on a big scale. So it's my favorite book for sure. Yeah. Fantastic read and definitely a a staple in, in anyone that is in business of any any shape should mm-hmm. should be involved, whether you're a, a leader within an organization or you're starting your own business, definitely uh, high, 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 high on the list. So I think I might know the answer, but but maybe not. <laughs> Who, who's been the most inspirational person in your life and why? My daughter. My daughter is the most inspirational person in my life. I look at her and I, at all, like, how did I create such an amazing, smart, intelligent, like loving, funny human being and just the way she sees the world is so pure and there's no malice. It's the reverse of what I talked about, right? It's, it's complete kindness. It's, it's, it makes me proud to be her father all the time. And, uh, she, she just inspires me to be a better person every single day. Every time I look at her, the light of your life. Yeah, mm. man, it's crazy. They are truly, uh, inspirational beings. Uh, and, and the pureness is, is so true because they, they don't know another way. They have not been jaded by life. And, and it's such an incredible thing to observe and witness and be a part of. All right. So here's an interesting one. If you could spend an hour with anyone living or dead, 
who would you spend it with and why? Oh, gosh. Oh, man. That's, that, that is always a tough one because you always think of a bunch of people. You know what? Um, I'm always curious about like who goes through your mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? It's so, it's, this is, it's either going to be one of two people and it's not going to be someone like super, oh, wow, that makes sense. It'd probably be like Dwayne Wade or The Rock. Oh, uh, I love it. I love it. <laughs> Dwayne Wade's my favorite basketball player of all time, but I also, as a man, like he's just been a really cool, cool guy. He's, was a single father for a little while and dealt with that whole situation while still keeping a career in the NBA. It's like a really difficult situation. It's super charitable, super forward thinking, man. Like I would love to just kick it with him for, for a little bit. And there's been so many opportunities where we were in the same place at the same time. My cousin, my closest cousin in the world, she was playing on the women's basketball team when he was there at Marquette. We were both in Vegas at the same time at the same party, and we were like a couple feet from it. And I was like, dude, I just want to go talk to Dwayne Wade. Uh, 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 and right. then The Rock, The Rock is such an interesting human being. Like to see he started at wrestling, but they go back beyond that, like poor and literally like broke, broke, like living on the streets type of broke. And seeing what he's accomplished and just every interaction, I don't think there's ever anyone who said like he doesn't have a good heart, like he's not a good human being. And to see where he's accomplished and what he's done and just still be a person that you just think is like, damn, that dude's cool. Like, he's the, like that's the rock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think it'd be really cool. Those are the two people I would just, I would fawn over to just be spend some time with. Yeah. The rock is such an incredible story. And <laughs> it's funny because I listened to this one podcast by this guy named Matt Diavella, who just, he's a filmmaker, creator, and and somebody that's an inspiration to me, but his number one, absolutely number one, like choice to be on his show that he's been, he's been making it almost a joke about it. They did a whole theme song on like him getting the rock on his show. I don't think he's been on the show yet, but uh, he is, uh, he's, a, he's just a powerful force of nature. You feel his energy. He's just a good human. Yeah. God, wouldn't it be a shame if he wasn't? But, but he just seems, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he right? Like, what if he's like this sleazeball, right? Yeah, You're right. just like, he's oh, like God. totally wrong. It would totally kill everybody's dream of who he is, but he's, he just seems like, a great he just guy. seems like a great guy. So, yeah, no, I, I would, I would take a, a lunch, uh, an hour lunch with The Rock. I yeah. would, God, talk about dreamless. I'd love to have yeah. him on this show as yeah. well. <laughs> so, but I'll let Matt Diavella have him first. Yeah, and, exactly. And maybe, One day. Maybe, one maybe, day. maybe one day. One day. So, okay. So we've asked about some of the advice uh, that you'd give, but like, let's dive in a bit again. So what advice would you give a new leader or an entrepreneur or somebody that's just starting out in their career? What advice would you give them that can help them and set the course of, of their career or, or, or business? Never stop learning and care about people. I think if, you're, if your heart is always in those two places, I'm always going to be a, I'm always going to get better. So I'm going to make a mistake and it's Okay and I care about human beings, I care about the people around me, you'll help your customers more, you'll help your employees more, you'll make more money, which will make the company happier, and you'll continue to grow and evolve. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so I shared uh, something earlier, but but it was and it was about regrets. Regrets are a funny thing. Do you have regrets? And if so, well, what are they? What did you learn from them? Um, you know what? I... I look back, it's really interesting. The probably only thing I've ever regretted, I guess, would be the way that I I probably had a little bit more runway at Enterprise. I probably could have done more. I look at a lot of people who I who worked for me and I helped groom that are still there and are at levels that if I would have been maybe a little bit more patient and knew some of the things I know now, 
I would have navigated my situations at Enterprise maybe a little bit different. And so I'm always thinking like, gosh, that was, it wasn't necessarily the the purpose that I liked the most. Solar City was by far the purpose that I loved the most of like what I was doing and probably the most fun I had doing that thing. I feel like I could have accomplished a lot more at Enterprise. I just feel like I had so much more to give there. So, Isn't it interesting that when we think about reg- regrets, often they tie back to, if I had done this, what would it have resulted in? Uh-huh, yeah. And yet, at the same time, I know how much you killed it at Solar City and then Tesla yeah. and the and the relationships you built. So would you sacrifice all of, you know, there's... there's well, th- those are two different answers, right? Like, yeah. would you go back in time? Probably not, right? Because yeah. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't... JM's one of my best friends in the world. I would never know him. I would have never gotten, I think, the experiences that I got and understanding about the world that I think Solar City provided. Solar City provided a deeper perspective. Same with Tesla, like what we're really fighting for in the world, right? Like sometimes, like the mission is so large, you don't even see it. I didn't see about solar and didn't understand about it, but that mission is so large. And now I'm a part of it. And now I understand how important it is, right? To be a better human being in those regards, to have a planet that's going to be here for our great grandkids. Yeah. Right? Future generations. Yeah. So you did talk about the, the the difference between a role model and a mentor. And now I'm going to ask about mentors. Who is or who has been your greatest mentor and why? What did you learn from them? Oh, my greatest mentor? That's a that's a tough one. I can't really say my greatest mentor, but I can I can give you a mentor that has been really good to me uh, lately has been JM. I think we bounce off of each other and we, I don't necessarily think a mentor has to always be a person who's like, oh, they're above you, but they're people that you can talk about how you're feeling and what you're going through and they can help guide you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I think he does a really good job of doing that without judging. So he was, uh, he was my boss at solar city, my boss at Tesla, just a great guy. And I, now he's one of my best friends in the whole world. So I would say his mentorship lately has been, has been really helpful as I'm going through life. Yeah. Well, we, we, we've uh, talked about on the show before this, this notion of having a personal board of directors, Yeah, which uh, Toby Corey, uh, he, I thought he created this, but it was actually his daughter. And it, and it's so valuable to have people that you could lean on that you, that you trust that you can ask questions and that aren't going to judge. Like you just said, because sometimes being alone in your decision-making process is not the greatest, right? It's like you're, you, you want to bounce ideas or vent or share the situation that you're in with, with people that you feel comfortable confiding in. And we'll also have, you know, some wisdom and some, some ability to synthesize what you're sharing with them and provide some constructive guidance, feedback, or, just listen if that's all you really want. Yeah. And Toby was a great mentor for me for a really, really long time. And I'd still consider him a mentor today. He helped me through some real tough times as we were transitioning from Solar City to Tesla. And that was an interesting transition. He's been an amazing mentor. So yeah. He's I, th- also I think a, a lot guy. of people would, would, yeah. would put Toby on that list. Yeah. Okay. So you've had a lot of achievements in your life. What achievement stands out as being one that you're most proud of? Oh, my daughter. I mean, there's not even like a there's not even a number two compared to her. I mean, she is my, she's my achievement. She's what I'm leaving my legacy to the world, you know? So by far, nothing close. Love it, man. Okay. So we've learned a lot about Travis Walker on this show. 
you shared a lot of things personal to you. You gave great advice in terms of what you've learned in your career and guidance for others that want to have the similar type of trajectory that you've had. What may surprise us about mm-hmm. you that we don't yet know? I'm actually extremely afraid of disappointing people and it can be paralyzing sometimes. Most people would say, wow, you're super confident. I could talk in front of a room of, I mean, I've been on the East Coast with you and we've talked in front of rooms of six, 700 people. People go, how how could you be afraid of that? But it's a it's a paralyzing fear of mine, I think. And, and I'm constantly working to get over that. What do you think causes it? What do you think it stems from? Insecurity, I think, is where it stems from. I don't know why. I think it's just, I think we all have kind of quirks. I mean, I, I could probably sit with a psychiatrist yeah. and drum up like my past history of where it comes from, but not wanting to disappoint. Like I have a strong, my wife thinks it's unhealthy. She's like, dude, you carry so much weight on your back every day for everybody because you just want to, you want to make everybody happy. You want to be the person for everybody. You can't always be that. Right. So yeah, dealing with that. Sounds like you got a great wife. Um, She's amazing, man. <laughs> She's fantastic. We're we're near the end here. What anything else? What 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 else? Um, you know, you kind of have this open open mic here. Yeah. For you to, anything else that that you want to share? Or anything else, kind of to wrap things up? Yeah, I think we talked about this a little bit, but don't be afraid to fail. I think that my greatest successes have come through failure, and at the time, it didn't feel that way. It felt like life changing and life altering, and it was the worst thing in the world. But the desire to push through that and the learning that came from that failure helped me be the person that I am today. And I'm not even close to a finished product. So I plan to fail more and learn more and be a better person. So I would say to everybody, continue to grow. Like we've said many, many times, it's those failures that often lead to our greatest successes. Travis Walker, it's been amazing having you on Inside Out. You're a true treasure, somebody that I am so feel so fortunate to have in my life. I'm so grateful for all the mentorship you've given me and all the examples that you've set for literally thousands of people who we've had the opportunity to work with. And I hope that thousands get to learn from the insights that you've shared on today's show. Really appreciate you being on. Cool. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Insight Out. I hope you enjoyed the show and I really hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in your career, in your business, or in your life. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate the show on your favorite podcast platform. This is extremely helpful and I can't tell you how much I would appreciate it. Also, if you haven't checked out our website yet, you can find us on the interweb at insightoutshow.com. On the site, you'll find tons of great content, including all of our podcast episodes, videos, blog posts, and the all-important link to support this show through Patreon. If you're not familiar with Patreon, it's an amazing platform that helps creators gain the support they need to continue creating. And remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out. Insight out.